Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, welcome, hello, hello, and welcome to another week of Don't Box Me In. I am your host, Lana Reed. You know, I always enjoy getting the opportunity to talk to young people who are driven, focused, and the movers and shakers of today's world. So I'm really, really excited about today's guest. Terry Lomax is a nationally recognized blogger, speaker, and author dedicated to empowering youth to overcome adversity. Terry is here with me today to share her own personal story of overcoming adversity and thriving and to also share how she gives back to others and helps young women inspire and empower themselves. I'm so happy to get the chance to sit down and speak with her today and it is with pleasure that I welcome her to the show. Terry, Terry, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, not as much as I am. Not as much. I just, I just love talking to young people that are doing things. It's just so refreshing because the, you know, there's too many times I see the, the alternative out there. So I, I'm just delighted to be able to talk to you. Um, so we're going to get started here. Um, at the beginning, I guess, uh, your childhood, uh, you know, had a bit of a twist in that, um, you, you say you were kind of raised by your father when most of us here at the other side where the mother is more so the main one around. Um, you, can you share with us how all of this happened, how this came about? Yes, yes. You know what, Ms. Lana? I was raised by my mother and my father. However, my mom was in and out of jail um, for the majority of my life since I was eight years old up until now. She's currently in prison now. And mm-hmm. throughout that time, my dad did raise my younger siblings and I. And I was also kind of a parent in a way as well because when my dad was at work, you know, I was at home with my sister taking care of our siblings. I actually have four younger siblings at home, and they are ages, let me see, I always get this mixed up. They're mm-hmm. 10, 11, 12, and 17. And so, you know, they were very young when we were raising them. And in addition to being in and out of jail, my mom was also physically and verbally abusive. So as you can imagine, that took another toll on my life and my self-esteem mm-hmm. and self-worth and all that other all that other good stuff. Wow, wow. So you are now how old? I'm 24 and you said the next sibling is is how old? She is she'll actually be seventeen in August. She's going to college next year. Oh my gosh! Oh, she'll be seventeen in August. And then I have a twelve-year-old, an eleven-year-old, and a ten-year-old. Okay. So you kind of had to step up at a young age and and kind of I guess play mom to a lot of those. Uh, brothers and sisters then yes yes absolutely well, that's a lot to take on for a young person there um can you share or are you comfortable sharing um wh- what was it that kept your mother going back and forth to jail and prison you know what honestly it was just it was kind of a cycle in her life she uh had a really rough past herself and i mm-hmm. think that she didn't come to closure with a lot of things in her life so she went on to make bad decisions and i'll name a few of the um the circumstances that put her behind bars, and one would be DUI, uh, of course, drugs, stealing, things like that. And so she just made a lot of bad decisions, and that was her way of coping, I guess, with what she was going on, what, what was going on with her, should I say. Okay, okay, yeah. Sometimes it takes a, some of us mm-hmm. a little bit longer to get it than, than the others. So, exactly. you know, it, it, her struggle is understandable. Now, your father was around during that time, so yeah. um, I guess that was a lot of weight for your dad to kind of have to carry uh, to raise the, uh, all these kids himself, pretty much. So oh, they stayed yeah. together throughout the whole time? 
They did. By God's grace, they stayed together. My dad was by her side, you know, raising the children and being loyal. And it was a very, it was a very interesting dynamic, but it, it would all worked out. Okay. Okay. So was there a large support system around? You have cousins, grandparents, aunts and uncles, or were your, was your father just kind of winging it by himself there? You know what? I would lie if I didn't say we didn't have a support system. Because we had, <laughs> okay. I'm so serious. What? We had an amazing church family that always supported us. I mean, they didn't judge our situation. Um, there were a few times where we were homeless. So we were either living in hotels or living, and this was me and the children and my parents, living in hotels, living in a shelter, or living with friends and family. And our church family was always very supportive. We actually, we were in San Diego in the beginning, and we moved to Philadelphia. So from coast to coast, we had support from my grandparents, family members, and my church, and they really helped us along the way because if we didn't have them, I don't think I don't even think we could have made it, you know, as far yeah. as we did. Yeah. yeah, it's so hard to kind of get through struggles without somebody to lean on from time to time. Yeah. You mentioned yeah. you um, were in San Diego, and then you went to Philadelphia. So are yeah. you born in San Diego? You know what? I was actually born in Philly. So I'm just a little okay. black girl from Philly who had a dream. Okay. So that's what I like to say. Born in Philly, and then I was raised most of my life in San Diego. And we moved around a lot in San Diego. And then when it got a little too difficult, my mom was actually pregnant at the time in 2001, I believe. Uh-huh. And so my dad drove me and my little sisters across the country to Philadelphia for more support because my grandparents and the majority of my family is based in Philly. Okay. Okay. City yeah. of brotherly love. Now, most yeah. of the time I hear people getting to San Diego via like uh, a military lifestyle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you re- you, is that what brought yeah. you guys to San Diego? Yes. You know what? My mom and dad were both, oh, my dad was in the military. My mom was in the Navy. And I think um, she was going through a lot in her life when after she had me. And so she wanted to move to San Diego. So she moved there. And that's kind of where we flourished until 2001. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So your mother was going through all of her ups and downs while she was active in the military? You know what? She has literally been going through them her entire life. I mean, since she was in maybe, what was it? Like, since she was about five years old, maybe, she oh, just was, okay. you know, saw certain things in life at a young age and started stealing them, and then it moved on to other things. And so that started for her at a very young age. Okay, okay. All right, so uh, Pops, you know, did what he thought was best and mm-hmm. drove you guys out to Philadelphia. Um, mm-hmm. Do you recall about how old you were? I was about 12. It was around, it was a little after 9-11, so I think I was around 11 or 12 at that time. Okay, okay. So um, did things get better for you in Philly then at this time? You know what? Let me just say, initially there was a culture shock because okay. I was raised in San Diego. So okay. I spoke like a valley girl, straight up valley girl. Oh, and my gosh, I'm so it. sure. Like, totally that's awesome. It. That's it right there. <laughs> that's exactly how I found it. And so we moved to Philly. I was put into Philly public school, like, no prep, nothing, just thrown in. So you already know it was just Welcome it was to the inner city. Welcome oh, to the God. inner city. <laughs> yes, I was the I was the laughing stock at school. I talk funny, you know, dress funny, all that. So that was a that was a struggle in and of itself trying to find myself and fit in there. And I found myself trying to put on the silly slang so that people wouldn't mm-hmm. really notice my accent. So yeah, that was definitely very interesting. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it is. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm an Air Force brat myself, so I think when Dad got out of service and plopped us in uh, California, there was some adjustments to be made. So I truly understand, oh, yeah. you know, that trying to fit in after, exactly. you know, being around a, a different environment, let's put it like mm-hmm. that. So I feel your pain <laughs> there. Oh, yes, exactly. 
So 12 years old, that is, um, what is that? Is that middle school? Because you're not in high school yet, but... Yeah, that so, is middle school. Yep. Okay, middle school. Okay. Yeah, so grade. so you finished off high school in, in Philly? Or, you know or it's Philly. Yeah, we moved so much. We I, I went to uh, middle school in Philly, and then we ended up moving to a little city outside of Philadelphia, a little town, uh, Ridley Park. And so I finished up until maybe I went to 10th grade in that environment, and then I went back to Philly for 11th and 12th grade, and that's where I graduated. Philadelphia okay. Motivation High School in Southwest Philly. Okay, all right, yes, all right. Yeah. So, um, high school. Do you remember struggling with any issues, or was it smooth sailing? Now that you were, you know, in Philadelphia, um, or or were you still dealing with some? Because you were away from your mother at this time, correct? You know what? I was away from. It was it was really on and off. So, you know what? As a young person, I kind of coped with it. And I would tell myself, you know, every year I would expect mommy to go on vacation, as they call it. You know, mommy mm. would be gone. She would be every year. That was just a custom for me since I was eight years old. And so that just became a part of life. And so honestly, some of that is kind of blurred together because it was so common. That was just a custom. We prepared for mommy to be away for holidays and we visited her in prison and, you know, wrote letters. And so that it was really on and off from from high school and even into college. But um, my dad, he, he took care of us and. Me and my older sister, we actually stepped up and had to help raise the children, but she ran away when we were in high school, so then that kind of left things on me at that time, taking mm-hmm. care of the younger children. So it was just a very, it was a very challenging time, but I can honestly say, you know, years after, you know, having girl talks with my mom and, and working on forgiving her, I appreciate all those experiences because it really did make me who I am today. And mm-hmm. I was always a good student in school. I guess my mom scared me so much that I made sure I was a good student and I was a good kid for the most part. I didn't really get in a lot of trouble. And I think that her past, in a mm-hmm. weird way, her past and her experiences really made me want to go the polar opposite, you know, and make me do this uh, totally, go on a totally different path than she went on. Totally understandable. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was kind of going to be my next question because I, I wanted to make sure that we didn't spend this, this time together kind of bashing mom because I, mm-hmm. I under, I understand that even though there was some negative things growing up, your mother probably did give you some very valuable tips oh, yeah. and tools, um, to make you, you know, become the woman that you are today. And I'm wondering, are there any fond moments or memorable things that you remember that, you know, your mom imparted to you? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, Miss Lana, I, my mom, I found out when I was older that she um, has bipolar disorder. So okay. that explains a lot of what I experienced growing up because when I think about my childhood, I remember having this amazing mom who would come up to the school on Fridays and take me and my friends to like Red Lobster for lunch and she would make mm-hmm. cupcakes and be at parent teacher conferences. And then every once in a while, she would switch and it would be a mm-hmm. whole other person that. I was scared of and petrified of, and that would be the person who was snapping out and was abusive and who was very negative. So the good mom, I like to think of her as two different people. That was my way of coping. You know, the good mom was amazing, and she instilled so many values and and morals in me that really has contributed to the woman that I am today. And as far as the the other mom, I'm going to say, you know, the, the, the characteristics that weren't so positive, We've been able to talk through those, and she even still has a hard time hearing some of the stuff that I remember um, even to this day. And we've talked about it, and the good thing is that 
you know, I, I'm a speaker and a blogger, and I share these stories, and I talked to her about it before I actually went public with our mm-hmm. story, and she was very supportive of me sharing, oh, okay. which made it so amazing for me to be able to, you know, share those intimate details of our journey together as a mother and daughter relationship. That is amazing. I mean, you know, especially to hear that she's still kind of struggling with things, yeah. but she has the the foresight and the vision with you to say, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, my daughter, I know you got to get out there and tell our story and I wish you, you know, all the best. So, you know, that's that's very commendable on her part that she can, you know, kind of separate herself from that, because I guess not everybody wants to say, hey, you know, this is the kind of the lifestyle that I put my own children in. Nobody wants to be that mom, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Kudos to her. So um, you finished up high school in Philly, and um, you had a, I mean, that, that was just so much going on. You know, you're responsible for raising your younger siblings, and, and you've got your mom issue that you're coping with. But somewhere along the way, you said, I'm going to college. I mean, did you always know you were going to college? You know what? I always knew that I wanted more in life, and I always knew that I didn't want to be and the predicaments that my family was in. So I knew that I wanted more. I, I actually had an entrepreneurial spirit since I was young. Like I was a Girl Scout and I used to sell cookies and I would at one point go on people's doors in my community back when people weren't too crazy, you know, mm-hmm. and we would knock on doors and clean the house for money. Like so I've always had that, that entrepreneurial mindset. And I think that, I not think, but I know that my church played a huge role in my success um, in high school and after that. And I was always sitting under my pastor, and they would speak this vision and, and just amazing messages over my life. And so they kind of motivated me and believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And so it became an expectation for me, like, yeah, I'm going to college. I don't have the money. <laughs> you know, my family I'm doesn't have the money, <laughs> so I'm going, we're going to make a way. I'm hey, going we're going to figure you know? this out. We're going to figure this out, yes. <laughs> I hear you, girl. Yes, I hear yes. you. Okay. Well, Terry, we're going to take the first commercial break of the day. Stay tuned, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Today I am with the uh, wonderful Miss Terry Lomax. She is the owner of the blog Mocha Girls Pit Stop, and she also has a book, Break Up With Procrastination, Seven Steps to Help You Follow Through With Your Goals. And before the break, we were um, you know, just talking about her life, and we were at the point where uh, she had decided she was going to go to college, hook a crook, uh, no matter what. And um, as you're graduating from high school and you're about to make that transition to college, Terry, um, something very monumental, something very tragic happens to you. Can you share with us? A month before I went away to college, I was given the opportunity to go on a missionary trip with my church to Trinidad and Tobago. So I felt like high school, like my high school graduation was such a pivotal moment in my life because I had been through so much. And now, you know, life was finally turning around for the better. So... Actually, the day that I left for my trip, my dad passed away in our hotel room, and it was so unexpected. He was never sick. Um, we found out later that it was a blood clot in his leg that rushed up mm. to his heart, and literally in our hotel room in front of my younger siblings and my mom, um, he passed away right there. And that was another moment in my life, and I, I found myself being very angry and very bitter from that experience because, one, I felt like, you know, I had finally... You know, life was finally turning around for the better, and I thought that good things were now supposed to come, you know, out of the world. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to, you know, get all these, these blessings because of what I had been through. 
and I was going on a trip to celebrate God and to learn more about God, and this happened the day that I'm leaving. It was July 21st, 2007, and so I was distraught. My family was distraught, and I found myself kind of in a a weird place with God. I started Mm -hmm. to question a lot, and I I continued. You know, I went on to college and everything, but it was a very tough time for me. I was very depressed, and I did not – I had a very hard time making meaning out of that. Okay. The previous okay. things in my life that I went through, I was able to find meaning, but it was very hard to find meaning for my dad's death. Yeah, I mean, that is a struggle. That is a struggle. I mean, and like you said, you had been so through so much as a young person, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you're realizing some of your goals, and, and you kind of get knocked down there. Um, you know, that's that's a lot to deal with. Uh, so your mother is around at this time. Did she step up to the plate and take responsibility for raising the family at that time, or were you still kind of struggling with trying to find your way, get into school and get orientated and still having to take care of, of your siblings? Okay, so interestingly enough, um, well, first I want to tell you, my dad's last words while he was on the stretcher um, to my mom were, make sure my babies are okay. Mm-hmm. And that was just so powerful to me. I actually wasn't there when he passed away, but my siblings and my mom was. And so that, those were his last words. And my mom did step up and she, you know, started to, make good decisions and she was kind of just being the mother that she wasn't before okay. and the sad thing is a year after he passed away she actually got locked up again and it was for a DUI and she ended up doing the longest stint that she's ever done she did four years and wow. which was just tragic really and um, I was in college at the time so at that time I was going home every Sunday to take my siblings to church and make sure they were okay and just to provide some sort of consistency for them. And my grandmother, my grandparents actually were taking care of the siblings as well, and the church family stepped up. So that was a really difficult time after losing our dad and then not having our mom there. So we had holidays where, you know, we didn't have our parents there. So that was a very mm-hmm. sad situation for us. Wow. I'm, I'm just trying to digest that now. You, use, you lose a father um, right before you go to college, and then a year into college you lose your, your mother for four years I mean um, that's that's overwhelming Um, and I mean especially just the whole the atmosphere of just trying to get used to the college lifestyle itself Mm -hmm. is 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 just a feat and task in itself and to have all the other mess and junk and muck Mm -hmm. thrown at you Um, you know the fact that you are here and standing and thriving I think that is such a beautiful beautiful thing so your grandparents and your church family and everybody, they got they got the, the siblings through all of that. Um, yes. But were there times though um, that you were just struggling with a lot of things, oh, even yeah. though you were you giving the impression on the outward of you know I, in spite of my circumstances, you know mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing the thing, but I'm assuming mm-hmm. that you still had some issues you were dealing with. Oh yes, and it was so hard. And I think growing up you know, being abused verbally and physically, I was so used to faking it. And Mm -hmm. so I would walk around with a smile plastered on my face, but on the inside I was hurting and no one ever knew. And even to this day when I share my story, people who were there around that time are shocked because they're like, wait, I I didn't even see any of this. I I didn't Mm -hmm. know that was going on. And so, yes, I'm definitely guilty of um, faking it until I make it. And so throughout (laughs) college, Throughout college, I was, you know, smiling, but I was going through so much. I didn't know how I was going to pay for school because, as I said, I didn't come up from a family where we saved up money for college, you know. Okay. So I worked, took out student loans, 
and it got it got really hard. There was one time in particular when I was a sophomore in college when I was still trying to figure out who I you know who I was and what it meant to be a young black woman. And I remember my school sent me a bill for ten thousand mm. dollars, and literally I had to pay that money or I would have to be dropped from my classes. And in my mind, I'm like, I cannot drop out of school because there is nothing for me at home. So I was mm-hmm. very very depressed. And I remember being at my mother's house. She was locked up at the time. And I was on my bathroom floor, and I was just bawling my eyes out. I was crying. And I, I was so angry still. And I was, like, you know, asking God, why is he letting this happen to me? And I was at rock bottom. That was one of my lowest points. And I didn't really think I had a reason for living at that time. Mm. And so I remember crying, and I just, you know, decided, you know what? It's, I'm going to end my life. I don't have anything mm. to live for. And life is just always so hard it's always a struggle mm-hmm. and the funniest thing happened in that time of me crying I heard my little brother TJ he was probably about four or five at the time and I heard him screaming yelling and laughing outside and as soon as I heard him I pictured him running up to the house and you know just smiling just carefree mm-hmm. and just so happy and in that moment I I found I discovered my why and I realized mm-hmm. that my why was my siblings and that became my reason for living and that became my motivation even when I felt like giving up. So on that day since I was 18 years old, I've never went back to that dark place because I have something to live for and I've identified that and that's mm. my siblings. Yeah. Good deal, good deal. Just out of curiosity, how did that $10,000 bill get paid? You know what? My grandmother and my pastors, my, <laughs> grandparents, sorry, my grandparents and my pastors came through and they made they made something happen. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Yes. He will make a way. He will make a way. Um, what did you go to school for? What was your? What were you in college for? I went to Kutztown University and I studied business marketing. Okay. So what was your? You know, when you're freshman, you have all these big plans. So you you say you're going to be a business major. What did you plan to do with that? You know what? Initially, I wanted to be a psychology major because I I, I knew that I had a longing to help people in some capacity, but. I was discouraged by someone. They said, you know, you got to get a PhD and you're not going to make a lot of money. So I was like, oh, well, business is where the money is. Let me go, let me go with business. <laughs> and so I figured business is, you know, the skills I learned with the, with the degree are pretty transferable. So I can probably go anywhere to do business. And so mm-hmm. my dream was to um, just make money because I, I knew, I know what that struggle was like. And so I wanted to just make money and help people. And I didn't know how, but, you know, things came together and I'm now using using the knowledge that I learned. But that that was my goal. Make money and help people. Make money. I mean that's understandable mm-hmm. money. I mean as a young person and what you went through, it does seem on the outside, uh, outward looking in that money is the solution to a lot of the things that you mm-hmm. went through. I mean going from, you know, home to home and place and so, you know, as it's understandable, you know, money seems to be like, okay, this would solve a lot of my issues there. Exactly. Um, so when how old were you when you finished up your bachelor's degree? So I finished my bachelor's when I was, I want to say, 21. Okay. Okay, so you were yeah, on the grind. You, you didn't do oh, the, the yeah. typical typical six-year plan like some of uh, oh. some, some college people do. No, I had too much on the line. I had to finish. I had to finish. Okay, okay. So you get your bachelor's degree, and what's next for Terry? So I, after I got my bachelor's, well, actually my senior year, of college, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and I was an RA my senior year. So I was a resident assistant, and I managed the floor that I was on. It was an all-girls hall, 
and I really enjoy doing that work and working with the girls. Those you can imagine, being in a mm-hmm. store of all girls is crazy drama. I love There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I loved working with them and interacting with them. And so I, I figured that my passion was had to be tied to that. And so I was trying to figure out what I could do, where I could work with women. And, you know, I didn't see the plan in the beginning, but things just worked out. And so I figured that I should go to get my master's degree because I found a grad assistantship where they would pay for it. And I can't, you can't be that. You know, I knew I didn't have the money to pay for a master's degree. So I went on and I got into student affairs because they were, were going to pay for my degree. And I went to Salisbury University to get my master's. And initially I was going to get my MBA, but after the second class, I was like, mm-hmm. this business stuff, I don't know. I'm not really so <laughs> It was See, a lot I'm of work. Feeling this. <laughs> I'm feeling it. So many numbers and I had a stats class and I was totally turned off. So okay. I felt like I had quarter-life crisis. So I okay. went to one of my mentors, and she directed me to conflict resolution, and I thought that would be the perfect field considering my background and what I've been through. And so I went into conflict resolution and got my master's in conflict resolution. Okay, so you have your master's in it's conflict analysis and dispute resolution. Yes, so explain ma'am. to the audience exactly what, what does that allow you to do? Yes, so conflict analysis and dispute resolution will allow me to, one, speak about conflict and, and, and mediate and help people learn how to diffuse conflict in a positive manner. I think mm-hmm. it's something that we should really learn in school, really, but a lot of people these days, you know, suffer from anger management issues or they don't know how to resolve conflicts properly where they create win-win situations for both parties involved. It may just be about a me, me, me solution. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. my goal is to really help people create those win-win solutions and I think that in the urban community, that's really the the area that I like to work in, the urban community. We have a lot of children who are getting into fights, and oftentimes because they don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to say what they want or what they may need. And so I think the conflict resolution just allows me to help people learn how to communicate better, understand themselves better, and learn what they need in in a conflict or a tense situation, and just educate them on dealing with their own conflicts and also educating other people. Okay, okay, good stuff. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break, Terry, and when we come back, I want to pick back up about the uh, degree that you have. I think that's very interesting. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today we are getting inspired and moti- motivated with Miss Terry Lomax. She is the owner of the blog Mocha Girls Pit Stop and author of the book Break Up with Procrastination, Seven Steps to Help You Follow Through with Your Goals. And uh, before the break, we were talking about her master's degree, which is in conflict analysis and dispute resolution. And I was just trying to figure out, you know, exactly where you could take that. And you were talking about... Um, working in, you know, inner city and helping uh, people mediate their differences and their conflicts. Um, I guess at first blush, I was thinking you would go into businesses and, you know, with contracts and help mediate those kinds of, but you, you use your degree in a, a very different area, correct? Am yes. I understanding that? Oh, okay. This is true. Yes, this is very true. A lot of people really can go into various fields, uh, whether it's education, the private sector, healthcare legal systems and so it's a very it's a very transferable degree because you know we have conflict everywhere yeah so it's great 
it's great. Especially, uh, you know, with what you're doing now and working with women and, and kind of empowering them. And, you know, that's one of the things I've always said. Um, with women, it seems like we are our own enemy. We fight each other and bicker with each other and drag each other down. And there's a lot of conflict and attention within, you know, our own sisterhood. So um, I guess the degree that you have is, is really useful in, you know, the demographic that you work with because, you know, exactly. we, do tend to, we do tend to try to stab each other in the back all the time. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's not, that's not most often the healthiest attitude to have. Exactly. That is so true. So true. So you are still a a very young lady, and you've gone through a lot, and here it is. You have your bachelor's, and you have your master's, and how old were you when you published your first book? You know, I was actually, I'm going to say I was 23 because I was still in grad school at the time, so about 20, 22 or 23. Okay, and let me clarify this again. You were only how old now? I'm 24. <laughs> okay. All right. So and it wasn't like it was years and years ago. Okay. No, very, okay. Very recent. <laughs> okay. So the, the, the name of the book that you um, published is called Break Up with Procrastination, Seven Steps yeah. to Help You Follow Through with Your Goals. Mm-hmm. Um, what What is that book about? So Break Up with Procrastination, well, the reason I wrote this book is because when I struggled a lot with my low self-esteem and depression, I did not take on a lot of opportunities I procrastinated a lot, and I didn't realize that my feelings of, you know, the lack of self-worth that I had was really a product of, you know, my past, and that's why I did not follow through on some of my goals. And so I wanted to write a book because, or this book in particular, just to help women who are out there who may be struggling to make that first step or who are procrastinating because of the feelings that they have about themselves. It may not necessarily be their circumstances or their finances, but really the belief that they have in themselves. So this book is a very um, easy read. It's about 40 pages, and it's a workbook-style book. So you have goal-setting techniques along with a goal-setting worksheet and different things that will actually help someone achieve their goals and set up an action plan on achieving them. So it's actually been a really great tool for me. And the funny thing is, when I was in college, I, I'm a writer, like I journal like crazy, and that has been my mm-hmm. therapy over the years. And so I had this little book, and it was an all-about Terry book, and I would write my goals in this book. And, you know, you had advisors in college. I was my mm-hmm. own advisor. I mean, I had mm-hmm. an advisor, but I was following up on those courses to see what I needed to do to get to point, point mm-hmm. Z, which is graduation. And so I kept this, this roadmap for success, I called it, and I kept this in my little journal. And one day I went to the career center, and I showed the lady my – my map, and the map is actually in this Breakout with Procrastination book. And she was so fascinated with the roadmap to success of, on how I had a step-by-step guide on how I was going to become a motivational speaker, an author, and all of these wonderful things. And so mm-hmm. it was really encouraging to have her look at that and see the value because, to me, it was just what I was doing to survive. That's what I Thank had you. to do in my mind to get there. So I've included that and some other tips and tools on how I have um, been successful in spite of the adversity. It's amazing, you know, what we do for our own personal healing, how it turns out it's actually very helpful to others. And, uh, you know, so often we kind of discount like, oh, this is just me. This is my own personal <laughs> well, you know, but, yes. you know, actually everybody can pull something from it. Now, in your book, you spend um, a bit of time discussing why it's so important to establish your why. Um, mm-hmm. define, define what is why and why does it play into uh, everything that we do or how it plays into everything we do? Yes. Well, I like to define our why or the why as that thing that motivates you when you don't feel like getting up in the morning or that thing that won't let you quit. 
And Mm -hmm. I realized that my why was so important on that day where I was on the bathroom floor crying, you know, wanting to commit suicide because my situation was just so stressful and so difficult and overwhelming for me. And when I identified my why being my siblings, I can honestly say I've never been to a point where I felt like throwing in the towel. I will always push through and resilience is really is really my favorite word. I've just been resilient because of me identifying that why and that motivation and whatever path I'm on, you know, whether I fail or succeed, that why just is really the foundational piece that will ground a person and keep them stable when the world is just going crazy around them. And so I think it's just so important identifying that first and then going, you know, go moving forward and identifying what your goals are and your why's for those specific goals as well. Okay. How do you, when you're talking to young people, how do you tell them to define or find uh, what their why is? Because, you know, sometimes young people, it's, it's just really kind of hard to harness, you know, what you're here for. So how do you kind of guide young people on that, that path to finding out what their why is? You know, I think usually I just tell them my story and I share with them. Um, we usually have different interactive activities that we go over that kind of drives the point home, but we just talk about some of the people who are famous that they may admire and then, you know, why they got to where they are and how they got there and the grind and the work and that motivation. And I think I usually start off talking about motivation, like what motivates you. And it's crazy. We, I just spoke to some students last week, and the goals and the, the, the aspirations that they had were just so amazing. A lot of them wanted to make money because they were in, you know, very difficult situations. And so we continued to ask them why they wanted to make that money. And as we continue to ask why, we got deeper, you know, down to the, 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 the core reason below the surface level. And I think that activity really helps the young people realize that it's important to establish that foundational reason to drive them to where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Now that we're talking about young people, it's just totally random thought. If you could, um, let me see here. What do you think, young people, today's generation, what do you think the things that they struggle with to be successful or what tools do they need to be successful? Mm, That's a great question. I think that it's very important for them to, one, utilize their resources. I think that even before, you know, when I was younger, we didn't have as much as we have now accessible to us from the Internet. So I think it's so important for young people to tap into those resources. You can literally find almost anything you want to find on Google if you Mm -hmm. want to become, you know, a a basketball player, a football player, a talk show host, like anything. You can find those tools on Google or online or in the library. So I think young people, it'd be important for them to utilize their resources and find mentors. Mentors Mm -hmm. have played a tremendous role in my life. And I usually, when I talk to young people, I ask them, you know, if you're trying to buy a home, let's say you're an adult and you're trying to buy a home, would you go to a homeless person about advice mm-hmm. on buying a home? The answer is usually, what? No. Yeah. So, yeah. like, you know, if you want to become uh, a model or, you know, a talk show host, you go to someone or reach out to someone who's already done what you've done so they can give you legitimate advice and practical advice on how they've done it. Not your girlfriends, not, you know, your homegirls on Facebook, yeah. but go to people who have done it. That's very important. I'm, I'm a strong advocate or a supporter of mentors, so I, I, tro- I totally feel uh, the last comment. I, you really, you know, need somebody to hold your hand and walk you down the path that you've never traveled before because mm-hmm. it saves you a lot of the bumps and bruises that, you know, you're going to get if you just try to forge away on your own, you know. So I, I really I really am a, a supporter of finding a mentor for people. So good, oh, good yeah. one that way. Um, in your book, you also talk about, Incentives. What are incentives? 
Yes. So incentives are motivation, little personal motivators that help you achieve your goals. And one thing I struggle with um, is accountability. So if I'm accountable to, let's say, Ms. Lyle, I'm accountable to you, and I mm-hmm. tell you I'm going to get a paper to you by Friday, that paper will be done because I I value my reputation. I, I don't want you to think I'm a slacker. Mm-hmm. Now, in the past, if I was, you know, if I had a personal goal to get something accomplished and I, was, I didn't have that accountability, then typically mm-hmm. I would slack or wouldn't get done because I didn't have that extra accountability outside of myself. And so incentives are just little personal motivators that I've used to, um, I want to say, I want to say motivate myself really to continue mm-hmm. forward with my goals. And so I've used things like buying myself a new book because I'm a bookworm. I love books. So buying myself a new book if I complete X, Y, Z, or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe getting a pair of shoes if I do A and things like that. And those have really helped me along the way as well, those little incentives. Okay. Now, listening to you talk and, and, and listening to your story um, for this time, um, we have to realize that you are in your generation you're kind of unique you know you're very personally driven you know you you can hold yourself accountable you you know what your incentives are i mean even despite all of your struggles and i know you realize in in the group of people of your age bracket that you're surrounded with that you are kind of unique not everybody is able to say um I'm going to hold myself accountable. You know, I told Lana I was going to have her this paper by Friday. So, you know, that's my my word, my name. So let me have this paper to her by Friday. There's a lot of people in your age bracket will just, you know, oh, well, screw it. So, I mean, do you think it's easy to motivate the masses or is it just um, there are only certain people who are designed to forge the way and be leaders for uh, the next generation? I guess maybe is what I'm asking. Mm, that's a great question. You know what? I really believe that anyone can do it, and I think that my upbringing and the values that were instilled in me at a young age has a lot to do with it. But I think that if you speak to anyone and you figure out what their motivation is and what they want to accomplish in life and you hold them accountable, maybe everyone may not have that personal accountability initially, but I think my circumstance really gave me no other option. I had to motivate myself and get up and go to school and do the things I had to do or else I would be you know, probably on the street mm-hmm. somewhere. And so mm-hmm. I think I had a strong enough, I, that had that fire under me, you know what I mean? Keeping mm-hmm. me motivated and on target. But for those who struggle with that, I think finding a mentor and accountability partner initially, I think mm-hmm. that can really help. And then after you've done that for a while, I think that, you know, that personal um, motivation may kick in. Okay. Okay. Because, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, um, I, I tell everybody I'll be 45 next week. So there's a lot of people mm-hmm. in my generation and older. And we look at you, you young people and say, oh, you know, they're kind of a lost generation. They're kind of caught up in things of this world. And it's going to be too hard to kind of redirect them and refocus them on life goals, on, you know, what, how to establish yourself so you have a foundation for uh, tomorrow. A lot of the younger generation seems to be instant gratification. I want it now, and I'm not really trying to establish a plan where, you know, I'm going to go to college for four years, and then I'm going to go do this, and then I'm going to give back to the community. So, like I said, it's always refreshing when you have encounter people like Terry, and then you want to say, well, how do I spread Terry's energy to everybody? So, you know, it's kind of you know, a, a interesting dynamic for us older folks to see and say, okay, well, this we want more of this. We want more Terry's out there in this world, and how do how do we get that? So um, I guess that's just kind of 
really my takeaway from this situation is, you know, maybe I need to do my part and get more Terry's out there in the world. I need to kind of work in conjunction and do my thing. Uh, but we're going to take a, uh, the last commercial break of the day, and when we come back, okay. we're going to talk about uh, what you got going on now and, and Terry in the future. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello. Welcome back. I is Terry Lomax today. She is the author of the book Break Up with Procrastination: Seven Steps to Help You Follow Through with Your Goals. Uh, Terry, uh, quickly, how do people pick up a copy of the book? Yes. So, if you like a copy of Break Up with Procrastination, you can head to MochaGirlsTipStop.com. Or you can Google it, and it'll pop up in Google. And once you subscribe to the blog, a free copy will be emailed to you right away. Okay, cool. People always like free. I don't even have to pay. Okay, oh, yes. get, get valuable <laughs> tools. You don't have to pay for it. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, um, how did uh, Mocha Girls Pit Stop come about? So I've always wanted to write a book, but I was always too nervous, too scared. I was you know, not confident at all. And so when I was in grad school, I had to do some kind of practicum for the summer. And I really did not want to do something that I wasn't passionate about. So I was trying to figure out how I could tie my passion for working with women into this practicum because I needed that accountability piece. Because mm-hmm. the blog would ultimately be, uh, you know, would, would determine my grade. So I wanted to make sure that I was accountable. So this was a great way for me to pursue my passion while also, you know, getting a grade and being accountable. So instead of writing a book, I decided, let me write a blog. I've seen people blogging. I didn't really know what a blog was, but I figured I'd research it and, It'd be a nice baby step for me when I ultimately wanted to write a book. So I played around with different names. I wanted it to be a blog that was geared toward women of color, um, just for the experiences that many of us have that are very similar. And so mm-hmm. after days and days of writing, Mocha Girls Pit Stop was birthed, and I created it in July of 2012. And from there, it has just grown into this, this wonderful piece. It's been a therapy. It's been very therapeutic for myself and other women and it's just it's my baby. It really is my baby. Okay, okay. So you've been at this for two years now, and you said originally you wanted it to be for um, women of color. So is that the demographic for it these days in 2014? You know what? The majority of my followers are women of color, but I find that women who share the, I want to say the local girls' experience are, mm-hmm. are, are big fans of the site. So those who have come from, you know, very difficult situations in life and who are now trying to succeed and who are on that path to overcome, those are the women who are the, the readers of the blog. Okay. And it is uh, pretty much a younger generation type female that reads your blog? Yes. And okay. Honestly, our age group is between 18 and about 30. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. Um there are a lot of phenomenal women out there like yourself, and I see on your blog you have something called uh, Mocha Girls on a Mission. What is that, and, and how do ladies get involved with that? Yes, so Mocha Girls on a Mission is an initiative on my blog where we feature amazing women who are living dynamically despite adversity. And the reason I created this feature on the blog was because although I have a, you know, a story that I believe touches many people, I know that my story is not the only one that will touch the masses. I know that there are other stories and other experiences that need to be talked about and need to be brought to light in order to inspire other women. And so I figured that we could start this initiative to share the stories of amazing women all over the U.S. And so far, we featured almost 30 women on the blog, which is okay. incredible. Yeah, it's really, really great. 
Okay, cool, cool. So you also do some public speaking. Are you just based in like the Philly area or you, you go out into different areas? I do go out into different areas. I travel around the U.S. speaking mostly to high school students and college students about overcoming adversity, boosting self-esteem, and also conflict resolution. Okay, okay. And there was one other thing. Um, man, you know, see, you get old like myself and you can't remember what you wanted to say. Uh, <laughs> I should I should write better notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was um, – I wanted to make sure because you offer this thing to uh, people um, – and it's it's called uh, three tips to building self esteem, which I think young women really have a struggle uh, with, especially because the media just kind of bombards us so much with what you should be, what you should look like, what you should be doing, and all of this stuff. Um, do you, can you real quickly go over what the three tips are to building self esteem? Yes, you know what I think that one is very important not to compare yourself to anyone else. That is because we have all these different, you know, selfies and models on Instagram, and people mm-hmm. sometimes get discouraged by looking at that stuff. So I think, one, um, not comparing yourself to other people. I think number two is identifying your unique brand of beauty. That's so important for me. I, there, I'm filled with flaws, but I've learned to embrace those flaws over the years, and I think that acknowledging what you can change and what you cannot change is very important and boosting self-esteem. And I think the last one is just learning to love yourself unconditionally and there's a fourth one, educating yourself. I read a great book on self-esteem by McKay and Fanning, and that book has been very, very therapeutic for me on my journey with gaining confidence and self-esteem. Okay, okay. Yeah, like I said, there's just, for women, it's just such a struggle to kind of get yourself together and, and package yourself right. And, um, I mean, as we can see in your own story with your mother, you know, uh, she's still struggling with things and she's, she's got some, some seasoned years on her now when you, we're supposed to have it together. So it's just exactly. testimony to the fact that, you know, we do tend to struggle with self-esteem and who we are and what we're supposed mm-hmm. to be. And some of us really don't get it instantaneously. So, exactly. um, now, um, you, I did read somewhere along the way that you've kind of got some wonderful life changes coming up in the future. You are engaged to be married now? I am. I am. I was Congratulations. Engaged, I in December. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Yeah. We have a date plan? You know what? Not yet, but I am thinking I really i am leaning toward having a day on my dad's, uh, on my dad's day, the, dad, the day my dad passed away, just to turn that day around and make it a positive. So I'm trying to figure out how that will work and what day it will fall on. So July 21st may be the date. Okay, okay, okay. Well, congratulations to uh, you and him on that. I saw the pictures and I said, oh, that's so precious. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> now, um, as you embark on the next stage of life, um, you know, there's things that will come along, I'm sure, like parenting. And I will tell you firsthand, you know, when we are not a parent and we envision being a parent, we have all of these, oh, yeah, it's going to be wonderful like this and I'm going to do this and, you know, right. me and, the child. and then when the reality sets in, it's a totally different dynamic. Right. So I'm going to tell you that now. But yes, from ma'am. from what you have went through, what you have learned, um, what type of parent do you think you want to be? Oh, my goodness. I think that I will be. Um, While I would like to be a very understanding parent, a parent that encourages my child to be whatever they want to be, and I feel like I've had a lot of practice with my siblings, <laughs> and so some of the things I do now, I can just, I can imagine, I can just see myself doing it as a mother, and so I constantly tell them I love them. You know, I want them to know that, you know, growing up, you are loved and you are cared about, and it's funny because they actually told me I say that too much the other day <laughs> because of my blast. I'm like, you always say I love you. I'm like, well, see, some people don't hear it, but yeah, just go. being very supportive. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, okay. So um, you think Philly will be the place where you hang around, Dad, or you guys have plans to move someplace else? I am so open to moving around, so I could end up anywhere, honestly. I love traveling, and I definitely want to move to a warmer climate. So I might I might move down south or back to San Diego. I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So what else is on the horizon for Terry? Uh, now we're going to um, get married, and we've got the uh, book out there, and you're doing the Mocha Girls Pit Stop. Are you you planning to go back maybe for more schooling? Or, I mean, what, what else you got on the, on the works? Yes, you know, I actually want to write another book, and I want to create programs for young women that will help them um, boost their self-esteem and accomplish their goals. I speak to a lot of women now, and I, I realize a common theme among the women about self-esteem and their goal-setting correlating. And so I really want to focus on that and maybe have an online course where I work with women to help them love themselves more and become their best selves. Okay. Okay. You do offer some sort of online coaching uh, programs now. Did I read that correct? You know what? Not at the moment, but I get emails from women, you know, every day asking questions about blogging and speaking. So I answer those freely. I respond to all my emails. So not at this point, but I would like to do that in the future. Okay. Okay. So we're going to expect more and more from Terry, it, it, it won't be Terry Lomax, though, I'm assuming, in the future, it huh? Be, no, it'll be Terry Burden, interestingly enough. <laughs> Terry Burden. <laughs> Terry Burden has let go of her burdens. Uh, yes, there we okay, go. Okay, I love that. I love that. Okay, well, Miss Terry Lomax, uh, we have had a wonderful hour here together. It always goes so quickly for me, and oh. I've just I've just had a pleasure. I mean, just a good time talking to you. Uh, once again, oh. Terry, tell me real quick, uh what is the website? Give me the website again. Yes. So the website is mochagirlspitstop.com. Okay. And that is how they get the book Break Up to Procrastination, Seven Steps to Help You Follow Through with Your Goals. And uh, that's also how they uh, get in contact with you to book you for a speaking gig as well, correct? Yes, ma'am. That's correct. Okay. And then I'll, I'll be getting invitation to the wedding, I'm assuming, right? Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All righty, dear. My guest today has been the wonderful, lovely Miss Terry Lomax. Uh, Like she said, please visit her blog at mochagirlpitstop.com and sign up to get a copy of her ebook. Terry, I appreciate you so much for making time for me and sharing your story. I wish you all the best, dear. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's it. Well, that's all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>